You're listening to an excerpt from The Case for United Prayer, a compilation of works by Jonathan Edwards, Samuel Prime, and Richard Cross. The chapter you are about to hear provides a detailed account of the Third Great Awakening that began in New York City in 1857 and spread throughout the world. Chapter 4. The Preaching It is very interesting to look, at this stage of the revival, at the character of the preaching which began to prevail, and the kind of subjects which were presented. The Holy Spirit seems to lead the minds of ministers to those portions of His Word which He designs to make the fire and the hammer, to break the flinty heart in pieces. He leads in this as well as everything else which he uses, as means of salvation. Let us look for a moment, look at some of those passages of Scripture which were the subjects of discourses during the period of which we have been speaking, and see how remarkable they are. They are the foundation of sermons by a great number of preachers selected without any preconcert and distinctly show how the minds of these ambassadors of the Lord Jesus were led. These are the texts of sermons which have never been published but delivered during this period in the old Dutch church. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 1, 30 and 31 I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. 1 Corinthians ten sixteen. And in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Lord, by thy favor thou didst make my mountain to stand strong. Thou didst hide thy face, and I was troubled. Psalm 36 and 7. Hold up my goings in thy paths, that my footsteps slip not. Psalm 17.5. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Jeremiah 8.22. Knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Hebrews 10.34. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 16:19. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Ephesians 4:30. To maintain good works, these things are good and profitable unto men. Titus 3:8. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another. And the Lord hearkened and heard it, and the book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Malachi 3:16 and 17 Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time when their corn and their wine increased. Psalm 4, 7, and 8 
For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. 1 Samuel sixteen seventeen. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. And as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. 2 Corinthians 5.20 There is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Romans 8.1 For the Lord is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory, and no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Psalm 84.11 And he said unto the man that had the withered hand, Stand forth. Mark 3.3 Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Ephesians 5.25 According to the glorious gospel of the grace of God. 1 Timothy 1.11 Oh, that I knew where I might find him. Job 23.3 For the Son of Man hath come to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke 19.10 I am the Good Shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. John 10.14 we have taken these passages in course as they were recorded by a gentleman who heard the sermons preached. Being taken without arrangement, they indicate the class of truths which were felt to be appropriate to the state of things. There is something specially noteworthy in these passages, and anyone who will read them and reflect upon them will see the bearing they have. Doubtless there was much prayer connected with the preparation and preaching of these discourses. What a world of love must have been in these sermons! With what untold anxieties did these preachers strive to win sinners to Christ! We ask the reader to ponder upon these passages as a type of the revival, and observe that in view of that boundless love which characterizes these meetings for prayer, all those sermons were prepared and preached. The great beginning of the revival was love, and love must have been the burden of these appeals. Before the close of the second month of the daily prayer meeting, the two lower lecture rooms had been thrown open, and both were filled immediately. Yet, so gradually and unostentatiously had all this widespread religious interest arisen, that one meeting for prayer scarcely had any knowledge of what was doing in any other. The religious interest was now rapidly on the increase, and was extending itself to all parts of the country. Many men of business from abroad coming to New York on business would enter into the noonday prayer meetings and become deeply impressed, and go to their respective homes to tell what the Lord was doing in New York.
You've been listening to an excerpt from the Case for United Prayer, a ministry of sermonaudio.com. The purpose of this book is simply to inspire and invigorate God's people to take up the same mantle in our own generation and to give ourselves continually to prayer. Remembering God's marvelous works in the past enlarges our faith in the place of prayer and gives us bright hope for the future. May God bless this humble attempt.